<laughs> What's up, man? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pixelist. I'm Will. That's Blake. And uh, we're your nerdy guides through all things that are composed <laughs> of pixels. That's our... That's that's a, that's a really well... I like how you put that, but I also <laughs> feel the res, the burden of responsibility of <laughs> being the guide. What's the name of the the people who like take people through Mount Everest? The Sherpa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are your Sherpas we for go. all things Pixelist yeah. related. Perfect. So it's already tagline. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, this is where we get together and talk about all things nerdy that Will and I love. Um, really, like we both like a lot of like ra- random nerdy stuff, and we're like, what if we did like a YouTube channel and talked about it? So that's literally what this is. Yeah. So we do a lot of uh, different stuff, but today we're talking about one of our favorite hobbies, which is D and D, Dungeons and Dragons, more specifically, Critical Role, um, which we love to talk about. And uh, if you're new here, check out the channel, check out the vibe. I hope you enjoy it. Join us in the comment section below. And also don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Pixelist. So yes. please do. How are you doing today, Will, by the way? Doing good, man. I've had my coffee. So I'm, um, you know, back to 100%. Is that you drinking some coffee right now? Mm-hmm. Do you ever do days where you do no coffee? I used to a lot. Like I used to not drink coffee at all, but. Not recent. I, could, I couldn't tell you the last time I didn't have coffee. It's been a minute. Yeah, I say every like few weeks I do like a like two or three day no coffee. Like a uh, what it's is that called? Like a, like a cleanse, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it does anything. I feel pretty <laughs> miserable. So, <laughs> but do you remember? I mean, not to get too off track here, but do you remember what your first coffee was like? I feel like I've been chasing that high like <laughs> ever since. I mean, I remember like being younger and having black coffee and being like, "This is." Like you guys drink this? Like, <laughs> what's up with this? Yeah. I, so, but so you drink yours black. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't have coffee until like I was twenty three, like for the first time, and I just, it was like, I don't know. I was like, this is what coffee does. I felt like a superhero. I was like, no wonder <laughs> everybody drinks this every day. Coffee and cocaine. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> We're just kidding, guys. But uh, but anyway, I I digress. Um. Yeah, today we're talking about Critical Role episode 12, I believe. And, uh, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, that's right. I'm excited, dude, because it, I mean, it hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been a long time since we've talked about campaign three, I guess, because, you know, we had the where they're off the last right. Thursday of the month. And then right. we're recording this one a few days later than we normally do. So it's been a, it's been a little bit of an extended. Yeah. yeah. We've been a little off schedule too. Um, cause I, I've, I've been sick. I've had stuff going on. You've had stuff going on. And so. Yeah. You know, we try to keep to the schedule, but, you know, naturally this is a hobby for us. And so I think sometimes that makes it feel a little out of sorts too. Yeah. But, but yeah. But I'm glad to be here now. Me too, man. Uh, other things that are going to be on the docket, <laughs> The Witcher Season 2, <laughs> we're talking about it at some point. Um, we're also doing uh, uh, Legend of Vox Machina, the animated series from Critical yeah. Role and Amazon Prime. Uh, we've already done two videos on that. We'll have two more. Maybe we'll have like a postseason video as well. My man Will also is has been putting up a video for each episode on every Easter egg 
Um, it's very well done. Shameless plug for my friend, Will. <laughs> Thanks, um, as someone who never watched campaign one, I really like watching it because will you do a great job of just all those nice little details um, and not being like overly spoilery with it. Like some things are a little spoilery, but you're not like, um, yeah, this is the hand of the God that, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but you get, you get my point. So, um, definitely check out those videos. And then I think maybe the last week of February when we have the, when critical role has the off week, maybe that would be a good time for us to do our favorite theories for oh, yeah. campaign three. Yeah. Uh, Cause we'll have that hole there anyway. Um, and so that'll be episode, um, We'll have had, I think, about 14 episodes for Campaign 3 at that point, maybe 15, I'm not sure. Yeah. But all that to say, if you guys have an awesome theory for what's happening in Campaign 3, a micro theory, just something related to someone's particular detail, or a macro theory on where this is all going, um, definitely put it in the comments below. We'll read through them, we'll collect them, and we'll talk about them and steal from you those yep. theories as our own. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll give you credit. Um, and then it might be fun, I don't know, six months from now to look back and be like, dude, that guy was so right. Yeah. Um, you sure. know, she nailed it, you know, but anyway. Yeah, I'm, so I'm I, I think that's everything for me. But. Yeah, I have, a, I have a theory I want to talk about today a little bit later. Ooh. Okay, Ooh. all right, all right. Um, but yeah, I guess with all the announcements out of the way, uh, let's let's jump into the recap. And if you're new to us, what we like to do is uh, recap every episode to, you know, this long form content. I think the last two episodes have each been five hours long. Uh, sometimes it's nice to just have a little refresher. So uh, we'll jump into that. And oh, I forgot one final announcement. And Blake, I don't know if I have, we actually haven't talked about this. So I'm hoping you're going to be able to be there. But for anyone that watches uh, Legend of Vox Machina, we're going to do a watch party. So if you want to watch it with us uh, this Thursday at 6 p.m., because that ends up being when the episodes drop on Prime, uh, 6 p.m. Central. So whatever that is for you. Um, I unfortunately don't have a Amazon Prime account, so well, we can, we can um, figure something out. I'm glad we're hosting this and one of the co-hosts doesn't <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have the means of actually watching it. So um, we'll work something yeah. out. Yeah. OK. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely join us for the watch party. Uh, anyone's welcome. It's, you know, we're, we're just chill so yeah and i think i think you linked the discord too in a previous video for people who want to like follow up info there too yeah and I'll, I'll we'll post it down below or you know whatever people do um but yeah uh lost my train of thought oh the recap so yeah uh do a quick recap uh i think blake's gonna start us off today and then uh, we'll jump into our theory and discussion after that, oh yeah, we, we cut the recap, sorry, this is jumbled as heck, but we cut the recap out and host that separately. So if you're watching that recap right now, but you want to hear our thoughts, I will link to the video uh, of our full discussion below. Yep. So let's talk about what happened in episode 12 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role. And this was another five-hour episode, which I'm always so torn on. A part of me is like, yes, more Critical Role, and the other part of me is like, it's going to be a late night. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Great episode, really enjoyed it. What ends up happening is the episode opens up with the stinger that we left with in the previous episode of Imogen finding this study on red storms with the pages ripped, it, ripped out and her mother's name as one of the contributors. Now, if you don't remember, she's never met her mother. She doesn't know her mother. Her mother either is either dead or missing or disappeared a long time ago. It's still kind of hazy on the details. Right. But her mother is a contributor to this study. So... Immediately, Imogen asks one of the scribes 
who's sort of like the um, librarian-esque assistants um, who help people find things. Um, what's going on here? You know, why are these pages ripped out? And the scribes is surprised by this because um, the Starpoint Conservatory, remember, it's um, uh, you have to be an academic, you have to be a scholar, you have to get admission into it. And so it's not just like your random, maybe public space where anyone can just go in and take something. Well, come to find out that the scribe, even though he probably shouldn't share this, shares that the last people to check out this book were the late Loomis twins, um, who seemingly were the ones who ripped out the pages. So uh, what ends up happening is Imogen takes this information. Uh, she does ask about the person who wrote the study, um, a professor, Khadija Sumal. And the scribe mentions this person doesn't work here at all as a part of this place. Um, and actually, uh, she realizes that this person is from the city of Yeos, which is way south in Marquette, past the Hellcatch Valley. Um, who, and this is also the same place that Astani, the friend of Shad's, is also from, um, which gets mentioned in a little bit later. So she comes out, shares this information with the party. Everyone is, is a bit um, like, wow, that's a really crazy coincidence. And they decide, okay, at some point, we're going to need to um, double back and maybe check out uh, the Loomis house again and see if we can find these pages. And that actually does happen later in the episode, which Will will cover. Um, the party also is realizing, hey, this ball's coming up. We really need to get our attire, our outfit ready. And they recall that in the Lucent Spire, there was a place known as the Golden Vale that they passed by. It seemed to be a place, um, I kind of think of it as like the D&D version of David's Bridal. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like... Ms. Warehouse. So, yeah, so they, they do make their way there um, the next day. And uh, they do have a brief stop with the check on Z uh, uh, Zidana. Um, and uh make sure all she's that, alive. basically yeah make sure she's not dead matt matt actually has this really great moment where they walk in and they have uh zudana who this is the woman that uh imogen and lana are staying with where she's in a chair seems to be dead and the party everyone kind of panics <laughs> but she's just sleeping so <laughs> it's all okay but uh so they make their way to the golden veil and uh, i don't remember the person's name who runs the golden veil um let me find it here um starts doesn't it start with like a q seamstress seamstress quatel quatel yeah um and she right off the bat is like oh welcome you've come at the right time there's a huge event happening and the party's like yes we know the ball we're actually we're actually going we're to the going. ball yeah and dorian also like they're thinking like okay so maybe we should just grab something and dorian's like no 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 like Guys, a, a ball like this happens maybe once a year, sometimes maybe even once a decade. Like this is a, and I kind of got the vibe of, um, I think he maybe even mentioned like a wedding, but I even thought of like um, a quinceanera, like a just pivotal moment in someone's life where they would go out and get something really nice to wear. Yeah, yeah. He basically com communicates that like, hey, we, we can't um, just mess around with this, but he does add the detail. You should get something that matches basically your vibe like who you are. Don't try to be something that you're not. Yeah. Um, so they start looking around. Chetney actually finds this really dapper outfit and is like, <laughs> you know, what's this going to cost? And Seamstress Quatel is like, all of that with alterations, about 85 gold. <laughs> and he's like, what? And so he runs back to the party and he's like, this place is not cheap. Like, we need to really think about this. So 
they actually talk about maybe renting the outfits and they ask seamstress Quatel about this and she's not offended, but she's also a bit kind of like, like really? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and she says basically for 10 gold, you can rent an outfit, but you have to take it as it is. And so they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, as they peruse through, Imogen actually does find this really, um, and I'm going to kind of just spare us all from like describing outfits because I'm not good at any of that. But I would call it just like a very modest, um, humble dress, really. And uh, this cream colored dress and it runs your 35 gold. And so they're like, OK, yeah, that's actually not too bad. So they all find um, their own little spice of flair, I guess, like their outfits. And uh, FCG, actually, um, they have to custom make him something to wear. And I don't remember the details. There was something about like legs or something, or do you remember what they were talking yeah, about there? So he, you know, he got transformed into a turtle in that fight right. with Ira. And he was like, right. I really liked having legs because he like had never had legs before. So Chetney is going to carve him some legs out of wood so that he can like have wood legs for this fancy. Right. Event. <laughs> and actually that's a great, I'm glad you mentioned that too. Cause um, Imogen also, I don't, I don't know if this was later or not, but Imogen also, points out to FCG, hey, I've never heard of the polymorph spell working on non-living things. You can't right. like polymorph a chair into an animal. Like it only works on living creatures. And FCG is like, what, what are you trying to say? And the implication is, hey, maybe there's more to you than meets the eye. Um, <clears throat> and he actually does share, I don't want to tread on Will's um, details because I think he shares twice in the episode about his party. Totally. Well, he, he, he does um, mention a little bit more about his troop. Mm. He talks about, um, you know, his purpose is, is referred to as his designation. It's kind of like his, um, what's been programmed into him to do. And he mentions, again, that's to help people, basically. Uh, it even points out to Seamstress Quatel uh, what her designation is. Like, what's your yeah. purpose? What are you doing? Um, and, you know, really in this conversation uh, to the party mentions that, um, well, actually later on, he actually goes into detail as to who all the people were in his party, other than just like these random items that dancer loved. Yeah. Um, and I'll leave that to Will actually in a little bit, but um, they basically, they get all their stuff paid for and they decide, you know what? We probably need some healing potions. We need some stuff. Let's go head over to the Trove of Marwa, which is something we haven't seen yet. It's basically this, um, I think of it as a, uh, like when I would go to the beach as a kid and there'd be like the pirate ship you could go into and like explore Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the vibe that I got, but it's basically an airship that is, um, we find out got brought here via a storm and was basically dropped into Drusar, uh, years before. And as they walk into this ship, they realize that, um, it is a hoarder's dream. There seems to be just random, random stuff everywhere. Yeah. And essentially, uh, you know, as they're kind of going through all the junk, uh, they come across this young woman who is the shopkeeper, um, Marwa Indalia. And this is a shop that her, her and her father started. She's in her early 20s. Uh, we come to find out her father has since passed away. And so now she kind of just does her best to manage the store. And she's a bit of a quirky... Um, Almost, I kind of have like this sense of like almost like a mad scientist vibe of 
Because later on they return, or actually Lana returns, and she's actually like tinkering and like messing with stuff, kind of like in an al- alchemical way, yeah, yeah. or rather maybe like a um, like an artificer kind of way. Mm. But um, they all have all sorts of different things that they want. They want a couple of healing potions. Uh, they the thing about uh, Marwa is everything she has, she's not quite sure what it is. Like <laughs> this isn't a very organized store at all. So she does find these two potions that she brings up, and she's like, I think these are healing potions. I don't know. Um, Fern smells one and says, yeah, that's, that's a healing potion. Uh, FCG actually ends up casting identify, um, to figure out like what some of the stuff is. And one of the things that gets pulled out is this vial that when they open it, smoke starts to billow and fill up the room and they find out this is the, I'm going to butcher it now. Cause I don't remember what the name of it was. Um, it was like the, the ever smoking bottle yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that is what it was. So uh, they find that um, Lana gets something, right? That uh, yeah, I'll, I'll cover it later. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Oh, that's right, because that's later, right? Um, and also, FCG asks for at this point, they're all going through their spell component list, like on their D and D sheet, being like, <laughs> yeah. "What? Oh, what, what uh, do I, I need? need this. Yeah. <laughs> and so FCG's like, uh, "I need a." A, a model of a ziggurat, an eye, a, I mean, it's like a handful of things. Yeah. And Marwa's like, I don't, I have a copper wire. Uh, I think <laughs> I have the eyeball and like finds the eyeball and it's just a plain eyeball, but ends up selling him um, some clay creepy dolls that he decides <laughs> is going to try to fashion into this model ziggurat. Um, but uh, so they're basically just trying to get their um, components purchased. And then they do also buy the sort of self-climbing rope. Um, and I apologize that I'm butchering uh, a lot of the ways these things are referred to, but um, they do buy the rope. Uh, and then was there anything else that they got, Will? I, um, I don't think so. I think that was all of it. They, you know, they did buy one of those mystery potions at least, but I think right. that was it. And, then, and one of them, one of them turns out to be a healing potion that gives resistance to poison. Right. Um, so, and yeah. then Lodna comes back and buys something later. Right, right, right. And then I, I think, does it, doesn't FCG try to buy an outfit for Pate? Oh, yeah. Uh, like a tux or something? Uh, or? Ashton does, I think. She, he, okay. she goes and finds like a super creepy doll and he just buys right. that. <laughs> well, all that to say, um, that's basically what happened in the first half. And I apologize that it was pretty much all over the place. Um, <laughs> So many random details. I was like, oh yeah, then that happened. But Will, why don't you take it from there? Yes, sir. No worries. You did great. Alrighty. So so we pick up from the break. And when we cut back, the party is basically still trying to come up with a group name. And they do this a few times throughout this episode. And they didn't they don't really land anywhere yet, but they do come up with focus group, like being like focus comma group like there's a couple of different meanings for it so they seem to like that but they don't commit to it um anyway imogen and orum decide to go back to the loomis household in order to follow up on the fact that imogen found out the loomis twins were the last ones to rent that book that she was researching and uh meanwhile ashton's uh like all right well i'm gonna go make my mask for the ball and everyone's like wait we need masks and he's like, yeah. So Orm and Imogen make their way and they find, uh, is it Ella or Ela? I don't, the, the matriarch of the Loomis I clan. I, I always forget pronunciations, but they find her, her as Mama Loomis in yeah. my mind. <laughs> we could just call her <laughs> or that. Grandma. I don't know. 
So yeah, they find Mama Loomis outside and they decide to just be like completely open and honest about this. And so they fill her in and ask her if they could, you know, take a look around the twins study and see if they can find anything. Um, she allows them to do this and she takes them to their study, their lab. And it's like this massive lab of like several different floors. They have like a huge telescope and, you know, we know them to be fascinated with like planetary stuff. So Saul checks out. Um, and so they spend like the next hour or so kind of investigating and, you know, they just find notes about the history of Exandria, the different planes, planetary things, but nothing regarding what Imogen was researching. And they uh, do not find the ripped out pages either. Um, so then they ask Mama Loomis if uh, when the twins, you know, were their bodies were returned, like if they had their personal effects on them, if they had, you know, perhaps any research on their personal selves Uh and she says that, you know, she thinks everything they had was returned and there was nothing like that. And she refers to Astani again, which is this family friend that was actually with them at the time of the attack. Um, she says, Astani has not returned, but they sent back, you know, the bodies and all their belongings. And I don't think Astani would have, like, kept anything right. from me. Um, so they're like, okay, you know, thank you so much. And they let her know that they're actually going to go to the site of the attack. And they tell her that, you know, if we find anything out, we will let you know as soon as possible. Um, and then she gives them a pin. Uh, and she says, here, take this. And when you see Astani, show this to them and they will know that, you know, you right. have my blessing. You're associated with me. Right. Um <clears throat> So then we cut back. And by the way, this whole everything that happens for the last half of this episode takes place over like several days. The party just has like a few days to kill before the ball happens. Right. Um, so we cut back and it's I think it's been a few days later at this point. And uh, FCG Blake mentioned this, but FCG reveals he has this innate ability to identify things. I think he can do it once a day. And so that's when he identifies the green potion uh, is indeed a healing potion and makes you resistance to poison. Uh, and then. <laughs> Then he crafts the ziggurat that he needs, um, and it ends up looking very phallic because he rolled pretty poorly, <laughs> but it is revealed that it will work. Um, yeah, I think Fern is like, it looks different than I thought it would, or yeah. like, I can't remember what she says, but. <laughs> and so, um, also in this time, Chetney decides to ask FCG about his associates because, you know, he was really strange about it in the Golden Vale when he asked um, the shopkeeper. He's like, oh, you have associates? Tell me about it. And so Chetney was like, you know, what's that about? Who are your associates? And FCG reveals again that Dancer was uh, their maker and made all of the associates. But we also get a few new names, at least I think that are new. He reveals yeah. that there is someone named Terrawin and notes that they were skilled with Earth. Um, someone named Ozine, and he describes as a fighter with water and like used water abilities. And then Axer, who used an axe. <laughs> and <laughs> FCG basically... You know, he kind of tells the same story that we're already familiar with, but just that this creature had one eye attacked, you know, him and his squad, and he just wants justice. And he didn't see much because he was still, like, waking up out of stasis, so he missed it and, you know, just doesn't know much besides the fact that the creature has one eye. Um, so Imogen's like, hey, you know what, I could cast detect thoughts on you if you, like, focus on those memories and maybe I can pull something out that you, that is, like, obscured for you. And FCG's like, sure, you know, we can try. So he starts thinking about it. She casts Detect Thoughts. And she's not able to see anything. Um, she basically 
sorry, basically just able to glean what he's already told them. And she recognizes there's some sort of block in his mind, either trauma or like an emotional scar, uh, but something that's preventing her from actually like seeing anything. Um, so this was just a cool sequence, but the most fascinating thing is at the end of it, Matt tells Sam, hey, uh, you take two points. And there's no other context given besides that, yeah. which like i'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later yeah he's like i make my two death rolls now <laughs> he was just kidding but so yeah then... <laughs> yeah that was really interesting yeah we'll, we'll definitely talk about that in the discussion oh um, yeah so then we cut to imogen and she's going to return to the starpoint conservatory over this you know days they have free and uh she's actually going to go look up some things for laudna uh because uh again imogen is the only one allowed inside uh due to the little note they got from Estraz. So Laudna basically wants to know everything she can about the Briarwoods, everything about having like a dead woman's voice in your head, how to get a dead woman's voice out of your head, and can you do that without losing your powers? So Imogen goes to the Starpoint Conservatory and she actually brings FCG with her under the ruse that, you know, it's her automaton assistant. Right. And so they do actually allow FCG in with her. And they do research, and she basically learns of Silas and Delilah Briarwood, that they were exiled slash hunted and fleed to Taldore, where they killed the Dorolos and took over. Um, a group known as Vox Machina ousted them and are thought to have killed them. But then there are more notes talking about the Whispered One in the Briarwoods and more events tied with Vox Machina, but they're very vague and unclear. Um, so then she researches, uh, you know, arcane gifts and abilities and, like, patrons and all that stuff like how people gain powers um there's various means that people gain powers through bloodlines through patrons there are experiments that have tried to give people powers but those are highly illegal and shut down as soon as they are found out about and she also learns that uh if you do have like a patron type relationship and you sever that relationship you do also lose the powers for the most part right um so then we cut to a night just in the middle of the night and Orem wakes up Fern and Dorian and asks Fern about the Nightmare King and asks her like, hey, he knew you like what's up with that? And she says, you know, my family is very well known. Um, we weren't members of the court, but we were basically royalty. And she's like, so, you know, he might have just known us and she also said he might be like imogen so maybe the nightmare king got into her head and that's how he kind of found things out <clears throat> but she says everyone in the fae has a great sense of smell so it's not like weird that he smelled me um yeah she claims he does she claims that she doesn't know what he would want with her and thinks that maybe he knew her parents or her grandma and uh, she says you know we shouldn't worry about it but orm does an insight check and he can tell that she is a little bit worried about it um, then we cut to Imogen, who is having another one of her patented red storm nightmares. And Laudna kind of wakes up as this is happening and starts taking notes to try to see if she can like help Imogen figure anything out. Um, so in the dream, the same thing happens where the storm comes and begins like tearing up everything. Uh, Imogen hears what she thinks to be her mother telling her to run. And this time she can see a silhouette of two young adults in the distance, uh, holding hands and basically embracing the storm. And, you know, Imogen runs and eventually wakes up and Ladna's like, you said the word twins. And so they kind of talk about it for a minute and are like, maybe it was the Loomis twins. And she reveals that 
seeing people in the dream like this is not something that normally happens. Bertrand right. was the first one she had ever seen. Um, so she's like, do I just see dead people now? Um, <laughs> I see dead people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, she also reveals, and I think Blake touched on this, that uh, Imogen never knew her mother. That was something we'd like kind of been wondering about as the show had gone on. But yeah, she reveals she never knew her, never met her, doesn't know anything about her. Her dad didn't like to talk about it. All right. So then we cut back to the whole crew at Milo's and they have gathered to fashion their masks. Uh, but before this, Ladna returns to Marwa's Trove and brings her a pastry as a sign of friendship. And she actually buys um, this blood filled egg like item that Blake and I were talking about earlier. And she kind of negotiates a little bit, gets a gets a deal for 300 gold instead of 350. And basically what this is, is a blood filled vial of a, a plus one. And essentially what it does is it gives her spell attacks and spell saving throws for sorcerer spells, uh, plus one. And once a day, she can regain five sorcery points uh, when she rerolls her hit dice. So a pretty cool item. And uh, they basically have like a blossoming friendship, Ladna and Marwa. And Marwa's like, bring me a pastry every time you come see me. And she's like, okay. So back to the masks. Um, this is just a fun little scene where everyone makes their mask. And I'll just run through it really quick. Uh, <laughs> Dorian makes a mask out of fabric hardened to look like it's blowing in the wind. Uh, a paper mache almost. Yeah, yeah. With like a cloth uh, over it. Sorry, yes, I was trying to think of what that was called. Paper mache. I remember doing that in school. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so Laudna <laughs> makes a mask that is kind of like this weird fox mask that kind of matches the the coat right. she got well, like taxidermied coat yeah. or whatever <laughs> and, uh, she also takes the doll suit and puts that on pate um fcg just says i get some big glasses clark kent style and that's all he has um fern says she makes like a five-year-old child's craft like thanksgiving turkey type of mask um imogen says she's really simple cream colored leather mask um that has beads that kind of like come up over and down her hair um, and Orum grabs a chunk of discarded wood from what Chetney had been using and carves himself a wooden mask with like cherry blossoms. And Chetney is like, oh my God, like I have so much more respect for you. I didn't know you could carve. And they basically have a, a fun little moment and Orum, you know, is like, you know, I would love to get some tips from you and moving forward. And finally, Ashton takes like this cloth and lever leather and fashions this mask that like goes over his entire face he cuts some slits for his eyes, and I think the the crystals on his skull are like the only part of him that's showing. His entire um, outfit as well covers like all of his skin and everything, and he reveals that he basically looks like the Nightmare King. Um, so that was pretty cool. And he rolls pretty well too, where Matt's like, yeah, yeah, you actually pull it off. So Yeah, Matt had everybody roll for their masks to see like how well they did it at crafting yeah. them. And yeah, Ashton rolled like a 21, I think. Um, and then finally, what also happened in this moment is Chetney reveals his first toy has been finished. Uh, he carved the airship that Dorian asked for. And Travis literally pulls out a wooden airship on set. And this was right. this was so cool. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh. And it was just a fun moment. Uh, so from there, we yeah, go to Naturally, airship. Fern steals it. So. Yeah, yeah, Fern does steal it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> that was great. Um, so then it's the day before the party. The, and the party goes to Estoros's to kind of catch up and, you know, get the lowdown. And he reveals that he has managed to get invitations for everyone to go to the ball, but they must attend as two separate groups. One that will be coming like under him 
and then another that the party is going to have to craft a noble persona and they're going to go with that crafted persona um and he basically reveals like hey just one of you is going to have to pretend to be somebody and y'all can pick um but he also kind of describes you know again what they're there for and he describes kind of the political landscape and mentions the Shande quorum again as these eight anonymous um people who rule from the shadows and that they have a ninth member that the, is public facing everyone knows and uh kind of just speaks for them and that this is gavis aranda i think i'm saying that right and that uh gavis has been in that position for about a decade and he's like you know discovering who any of these secret members are is very powerful information um they only care for their own interests at the cost of the common people and Estrosh basically just reveals that, like, I really want to find out who these people are, expose them, and disrupt this power imbalance. Right. And they believe that Armand Treshi is possibly a member. So Estros proposes this plan that they should plant uh, this ring on Treshi, and he presents this silver ring that matches one that Armand has, and it's magically imbued. Um, so they're like, yeah, we need to somehow switch his ring for this one. And so they're like, come up with a plan for that. And he's like, I've arranged trans transportation, so just come here tomorrow and, you know, we'll go. And he's like, but I need to know who's going to be the noble persona that we're crafting. Like, which one of you is going to do that? Because I got to set that up tonight. And so the party talks about it a little bit, but they ultimately land on Dorian. Because they're like, you know, Dorian, you are noble. So why don't you just do it? And like, like as yourself. And he's a little hesitant at first, but he eventually decides, okay, you know what? I'll do this, but Eshrosh, can you ensure that like my family will be okay? You know, his brother who has this big bounty on him and everything. And Eshrosh says, you know, this comes with inherent risk, but I'll do everything in my power to like keep you guys safe. Um, so Dorian's like, okay, I'll do it. Um, but he says, you know what? Uh, let me look through your stuff because I think I'm going to change my mask and my outfit if we're doing it this way. So Eshrosh leads him up and kind of shows him this wardrobe. And Dorian takes his mask that he made earlier and also the clothes he was going to wear were from EXU. He didn't actually buy any clothes at the Golden Veil. Uh, he already had a really nice shirt. So he takes that as well, crumples them up, throws them down, and instead takes something from Estros's wardrobe. And uh, <clears throat> then the party's like, okay, so Dorian's going to be the guy. We got Estros. Who's going with who? And so we have Team Dorian, which is Dorian, Orem, Fern, and Imogen, and Team Estros, which is Ashton, FCG, Laudna and Chetna, Chetney. The, then they spend a while trying to think about, okay, how are we going to do this ring swap? And they try to come up with plans. They don't land on anything concrete. Right. Um, and so they're like, okay. And they go to sleep that night. The next day, meet up with Estrosh, head to the ball. And that's where the episode ends. Whew. That oh, is what long. happened in episode 12. Thank you for hanging with us. Yeah. So many important details that just could not skip. Um, but uh, like we'll mention at the start, this is part of its own separate recap. If you've got to the end of this video, check out the link below for the whole deep dive. And if you guys are here for the deep dive, let's chat a little bit. First things first, Will, reactions. What do you think of the episode? Um, I feel like I say this every time, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> like these are these are my favorite types of episodes. Um, Mark my bingo card. I liked it a lot. <laughs> and and not that I dislike combat. I do like combat. But uh, I'm more than happy for an episode without it if we're just getting lots and lots of good RP, which right. that's what we got. And 
like shout out to Robbie freaking Damon, man. He just he killed it this episode, like kind of taking over and and dressing everyone in the Golden Vale. And then uh, we'll dive into this moment later, but kind of the transition he has at the end, um, which I don't want to deep dive on that right now. But I am really curious. Yeah, your thoughts on that. But yeah, we do need to get back on that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. I was just saying, I was gonna say, I liked it too. Um, I think this is one of those episodes that it's like really good to remember that this is ultimately a group of friends playing D and D together, rather than this is a production of seasonal content. Yeah, like a scripted Um, show. Exactly, it's not a scripted show, right? right? And so I I think people. I haven't read any comments yet. I haven't looked at Reddit or anything yet, but. I would assume there might be people who'd be like, man, like, let's go, let's get things going here. Mm, yeah. um, Cause they did, they dawdled a bit. I mean, being in the shop, the story, I think Matt even says at some point, okay, everyone just tell me what you want. And <laughs> yeah. I will tell, otherwise we're going to spend two hours in this store. Yeah. Um, so like naturally the pacing can feel a bit um, flowed, but I think again, it's remembering, Hey, these are friends who are playing D and D together. They're having a great time. Mm-hmm. And it's not first thing, a crafted show of progressing to the next story point. Right. Um, Cause if you view it from that lens, it's today was, or the episode was not a lot happened. Right. Um, then again, as you were doing your recap, I was like, Oh man, that was such an important part. And then you went to the next piece and I was like, Oh, that was such an important part. <laughs> so we actually did have a lot of, individualized important moments right um but yeah overall like the episode just like you um we're pretty much always going to say we love it <laughs> it have to be pretty bad i think for us to be like oh, that wasn't a very good episode yeah. <laughs> so anyway but yeah i mean uh you kind of mentioned this earlier that the the kind of when it's when it's a longer episode like this part of me is like oh man i'm gonna have to stay up really late which uh, I didn't end up doing here and I actually really, I don't, I'm kind of rambling here, but I enjoy the longer episodes when I get to consume it. Like I did this week, like I watched the first half on Thursday night and then I got to finish the second half, um, actually, uh, yesterday finally. And so I don't know, like, I don't even really know what I'm saying, but I just enjoyed the length of it since I had like so much to enjoy over the course of a couple days, you know, but I definitely yeah. understand if you're trying to watch it all in one sitting live, those five hour episodes can be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, with the five hour episode being like, Hey, I can, there's more D and D for me to consume, right. you know, over the weekend. It's kind of a fun feeling. Uh, but yeah, definitely in one sitting, it could be like, dude, what is all, and it's a little bit different from the other five hour episode that we had, which was the fight with the nightmare King, right, right. which was five hours of intensity. Right. And like the aftermath of it. So um, all that to say, where do you want to, I feel like there's so many important story points. I don't want this video to be two hours. Um, (laughs) Where do we want to start? What do we want to hit on? I'm thinking some things probably deserve a deeper conversation and maybe some things deserve just like sharing of notes. Um, So, I mean, if maybe if I could lead just the first point, which we just mentioned a second ago, Dorian tossing his EXU garb, mm-hmm. and this has been mentioned a couple of times, this outfit where people have asked him about his attire. You already have something. He's like, yes, I already have something. I'm good. Um, remind me, did he, he got this garb during the talent show. Right. Right. In, right. Um, I can't think of the town's name. Uh, by Roden. By Roden. That's right. 
So he chose this outfit and has kept it ever since. And then we have this scene where he, um, it's interesting how Robbie Damon describes this. He doesn't like neatly place it or put it on a hanger or anything. He says he, with that and the mask, they crumples them up and discards them and yeah. leaves the room. Like leaves the room, like not like, Hey, make sure I get this back. Like, all right, right. see ya. Um, was Robbie that unhappy with EXU to, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, what's up with that? Like what, what's your take on that, that scene? Yeah. I thought this was so interesting. Um, especially cause of like the great kind of parallel from him at the beginning of the episode, which is just even more fascinating since this isn't a scripted show. Like Robbie just like had the, the, I don't know what to call it, but like the skill to like craft such a, a great moment. Um, but at the, at the beginning of the episode, you know, he explicitly tells them, don't be something you're not buy something that's you. And here at the end of the episode, we kind of get the reversal of that. He's throwing away what's him to like put on this militaristic outfit that more represents, I guess, what he like his old life that he left behind, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I just thought that the was a great like parallel yeah. of, you know, him telling people what you should do and then him ultimately doing the opposite of that at the end. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, to me, I think clearly we, we don't know the, the full reasons of why he left the Silken Squall and kind of went out on his own. Uh, we have some ideas, you know, his people go on these types of journeys and, and things, but clearly he was unhappy with that, at that, that, that life in a way. So I don't know. I, I just thought it was kind of like a reluctance to re-embrace that and kind of like have to put on that figurative mask along with this literal one and like be the person who he walked away from being again. Um, but I don't know the, the why is to why like, why did he like discard that other stuff as if he's like never going to wear that again? I'm not sure. Like, uh, what did you make of it? I don't know. I, I think everything you just said, by the way, was really insightful. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's a really great distinction between, um, him leaving his old life and like all those responsibilities and sort of um, accepting the burden of responsibility of being like this celebrity esque noble that the yeah. party is going to, uh, you know, be his entourage, I guess. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting because the militaristic outfit doesn't really match his style, both in terms of what we've seen in this campaign and also in EXU. Right. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit interesting. Um, we'll have to also see how he reacts to, um, he's kind of, his whole MO has been, um, shirking away his real identity. You know, right. he goes by Dorian Storm instead of Bronte. Um, and so I'm even curious to see how he is announced. I mean, cause in a sort of like, you know, he's not the typical bard, I guess, who is, um, you know, showy and, you know, me and all this kind of stuff. He's very humble and a bit in, you know, letting others take the limelight. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how he, I guess, does this next. We're getting the ball this next episode. So it'll be interesting to see what he does do and yeah, how he like does how react he, to the attention. Yeah. Like, how's he going to act? Is he going to be the Dorian we know or is he going to kind of put on a veneer of pompous yeah. or whatever he expects that to mean um but yeah i think uh i think he is going to be announced as bronte because you know he had to 
I think he had to spell it out for Estros. That's right, because he asked where you were from, and he says, like, everywhere, and he's like, well, where specifically? And he says the Silken Squall, which Estros is like, oh. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah, we're not even going to have to fake this. Like, (laughs) you're legit. So, yeah. So. Um, But, yeah, so I... Part of me wonders, I mean, we, we've had this recurring discussion on Robbie's guest status versus, like, is he going to be leaving at some point? And most signs point to the fact that he is a guest as opposed to going to be here for the whole thing, which we all want him to be here for the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. But if he is a guest and if he is, there is a, a planned exit for him at some point, maybe this is leading up to it. You know, maybe... Maybe something bad happens because he's revealing himself and people are going to know. Or maybe he needs to get called back. Maybe something happens to his brother. You know, I just, I don't want this to be the case, but this could be a setup for Dorian's eventual exit. I think something's going to happen to his brother. I mean, we know that Artana Vo took a special interest in him and in realizing that he looks very familiar to um, her mark, right? Um, his brother. We also know that Lord Estros doesn't necessarily give him a definitive answer on protecting his brother. And I think it's even Fern or someone says, like, as an aside, I, I don't believe Lord Estros. I don't believe him that he can protect Dorian's brother. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. It feels like maybe we're coming to a head for his departure in um, something that causes him to have to either go back to the Silken Squall or... I mean, who knows? I don't think we're, we're heading towards like his death, like a la Bertrand Bell. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, but, I think he he might die, but it won't be like a planned thing like it was with Bertrand. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you may die, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that that's really my only starting point that I wanted to start on. Um, what else from this episode that you want to you hit on? Um, all right. So I've got some different notes of what I wanted to hit. Let me see if there's anything else on Dorian. I don't think there was um okay um i kind of this isn't in any really particular order but uh what the the fcg thing and him taking two points and i don't remember the i should have looked this up before we filmed this but somebody commented in one of our videos i don't even remember which one yeah but that like they noticed sam was like counting every time he rolled a natural one or or something to that effect So I'm wondering if that is connected to this and just what's going on here. Like two points, two points of damage or two points that Sam is tracking something that he has to keep track of. Like, I don't think we know that. I don't like, did, did Matt say health or anything? He just said did, two points. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly Sam has some sort of system that he's tracking here. And right. I, I'm so curious. I mean, anything I, I say here is a complete shot in the dark. So I don't know how, productive it is just to ramble about it but super fascinated by this i mean just to kind of dive into the grander scale of what fcg is we know he's an automaton that is unique compared to most that are in the world now and we've talked a little bit about this but in campaign two very tiny spoiler doesn't really affect anything in the grand narrative there is an automaton that they like kind of rescue and that is like the the seed for now these these more advanced automatons existing in Exandria, which I believe FCG is is one of those, and kind of a snowball of, snowball effect from that occurrence in Campaign Two. So FCG, I think, was not made by Dancer. He was maybe fixed 
by Dancer, or maybe maybe he was made by Dancer, but from parts from another, you know, something else. Anyway, I think the FCG had a life prior to his life with Dancer. I guess let me put it that way. Sure. And, and so maybe he's trying to like regain those memories or like remember his true purpose. And maybe this all stems back to just the encounter that he can't remember. And it doesn't go deeper than that. But I think there's obviously some memories and some stuff that are missing. And maybe maybe this point system has to do with that. I don't know, though. Like, what's, yeah. what, what's your take on it? I mean, I'm going to go back to a theory that I brought up earlier on, which is I think that he, it was um, a living thing, humanoid, yeah. that whose consciousness maybe mortally wounded has been implanted in this automaton. That's, that's my take on it. I mentioned it before. Um, it seems like there is a pivotal moment where he, he can't really seem to go deep in his memories. Now he does make generic statements like, Oh yeah, there was this person, there was that person. But whenever they seem to pry on the event that wiped out his, essentially his family, yeah. uh, not only are the memories hazy, fuzzy, inaccessible, but we saw in a previous episode, he almost sort of bugged out. Right. Um, right. I have almost like a programming error. Um, and even when Imogen does detect thoughts as he's remembering this stuff, Matt points out that the way he describes it is actually more detailed than how he actually remembers it, which is incredibly vague. So right. for me, I'm thinking this also tracks with the comments that have happened several times where they've pointed out, um, you know, Fern has pointed out to him that um, some of his seemingly feelings uh, are unusual for Automaton. And Fern kind of encourages, I'm just going to refer to it as his humanity, I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, Imogen points out that the polymorph spell is a bit unusual. And then I mentioned this in the episode where we talked about Bertrand's death, that FCG seemed to be the one who was most not traumatized, but just impacted by his death. And even as he's deflecting and saying like, don't you guys need to talk about this? Yeah. He even admits himself that, yeah, I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad. So that's the theory that I'm going with is, you know, some kind of humanity esque soul person, something that has been, you know, put into him and, uh, and so, yeah, that's, I don't know. It, the all the two point stuff, I have no idea. It's interesting he doesn't say health points. He just says two points. And then FCG doesn't, doesn't um, clarify. He doesn't say, oh, it's right. two health points. I mean, he, he is also purposely vague by joking about like two death rolls, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but. Which, okay. Sorry. Just uh, let's, I'm going to speak out loud here to see if, if this, if what, what, what comes out. Sorry. I'm rambling. Uh, these we know this is a negative thing right like he seems like it. he gets two points after like imogen trying to probe into his trauma and then again i don't remember the episode i don't even remember the comments here i'm sorry but whoever pointed out when he denotes natural ones like natural ones are a bad thing so he's accumulating points for bad things so to me i feel like that means something eventually bad will happen as opposed to like oh you get enough points you remember everything you know like, so I wonder what might happen. Like maybe he would, his programming would fail and maybe he, maybe he reverts to like, 
maybe he was like a murder robot and he's been programmed to be this therapy robot now and like if he takes too many yeah. points he like reverts to his original stat states or it'd, state it'd, or something it'd be an interesting like duality with him like taking damage from other people and yeah you know being the healer of the group i guess support class yeah it'd be interesting yeah i mean that would be a really cool parallel so and the ang- the lang- le- the language around the event too. He's mentioned it a few times of him being in stasis and like coming out of stasis. That's something we also haven't seen happen so far. And so I don't know if stasis is like, yeah, you know, story slang for being like knocked unconscious, and he was being brought to, um, or if it's something different entirely, which we just haven't seen yet. Yeah, that's a good point because he does he does sleep like the he needs rest the D mechanic of rest so is stasis his rest or has he ever mentioned that like saying like you know when everyone's going to bed that like he enters stasis or has he only used that word for that that one thing i, I mean i haven't heard him say that but it also may maybe in his mind is so um you know mix and match of a term that he yeah. just consistently hasn't mentioned it yet um it feels like he's just relying on people to just naturally know what stasis means. Yeah. And he's sort of using it as a, um, like, therefore no one's really asked about it. Right. So, cause I'm curious, like, what does that mean to go into stasis? Um, we also know that he does, I can't remember if it was this episode or the last episode, but when people were like, we're resting, he had to eat like some metal or something. Oh yeah. Um, to like repair himself. Right, right, right. So, you know, that's why I wondered if maybe stasis means like, the, his version of being knocked out. Um, I don't know. So very interesting. Um, I did, I'm moving away from this, but I do have one other thing on FCG. Uh, the, um, so in the golden veil and I don't really, I just want to mention this, I guess, but it, it's interesting that they, uh, you know, the, the, I can't remember her name, but the, the shopkeeper was so fascinated by him. It's like, Oh, like, are automatons a thing now? Like, do they wear clothes? Do we need to get up on this? And <laughs> they have them sign that contract, which yeah. I, I'm interested to see the, the, the ramifications of that. Not that they'll be bad or yeah. anything, but just like, you know, maybe six months from now, they're coming back to Drusar and they enter that shop and maybe it's like, they've made bazillions of dollars and, you know, it's going to be like Detroit become human. They're, they're the yeah. store. And I liked how though, I think it was Fern. It was like, do you want to read the contract? And he was like, no, <laughs> He's just like, okay, and signs it. <laughs> so I, so. I mean, knowing Matt, I feel like there at some point in this campaign, there's going to be something that comes of that, and sure. they'll probably be kicking themselves for not like getting a percentage. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, but guys, close to free though. So <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is nice. And yeah. uh, one other little great part, right in that moment, was I think the she asked like, which of you is his master? And, you know, everyone, like, kind of, like, says, oh, like, nobody, and, you know, I think FCG says, they all are, but Fern just immediately goes, oh, I am, like, I'm his master. Yeah. And I just love that. Classic Fern. (laughs) Ferny, Fern, Fern, which, hey, good segue, I guess, we'll just, I'll jump on that. Yeah. Fern and her family. Dorian, Dorian makes an insight check, too, when she says, we're like royalty, because remember, uh, Dorian and Orem have traveled with her through exu i mean they've been together for months right and when she mentions this phrasing he's like wait what like never mentioned this before and almost like you're you're retconning your story is kind of the (laughs) implication i got from dorian 
so rolls an insight check and rolls um, very low, very yeah. poorly. Um, and so it's kind of like, she seems to be royalty. Um, interesting. And I could tell she was kind of jokingly being like, yeah, I'm not, we shouldn't worry about the Nightmare King. Yeah. But that whole thing is really interesting to me. Because again, we know, and again, for those of you guys, not to keep mentioning this, but if you didn't watch EXU, and maybe you're just tuning in, we know Fern's parents are missing. They left at some point. We know that her grandmother has been sort of like her caretaker. Um, and so, and we don't really know much else about her parents. Yeah. And we know her grandmother brought her to Exandria or to Taldore to deal with some problems, seemingly uh, the beginning events of EXU. Yeah, so, she's also, I'm just remembering this, she's also on some mission that she referred to in EXU. Remember? Yeah. Like, she's like, oh, my work's not done yet type of thing. Right, so there's right. also that hanging around. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, we didn't really get much other than her, like, jokingly that maybe Ira was, like, a past lover or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but very I, interesting. Yeah, so not royalty and she explicitly mentions not on the court which the court the only other mention that at least i remember it's possible that we've had other mentions let me know in the comments but the only other mention of the court i remember is from exu um at the end of the gateway battle you know ferns looking through the gate and matt or not matt abria says you see the 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 unforgiving queen the matriarch of the Seely court so to yeah. me i'm wondering if Ooh. that's the same court that fern is saying my family's not on the court um i don't i don't know much about like the lore of the Seely court and like the established D canon so i mean matt's might be completely different anyway um but i don't know enough to to probe that but sure. i don't know it's interesting that she basically says they're royalty but not on the court so like her they're important they're big players and I don't, again, know enough about the political landscape of the Feywild to know what that means. If anybody does, let us know. Uh, but I don't know. I was just super interested because that also gives new context to her seeing that person through the gate. Because, like, to me, I just thought this was, like, an ominous yeah. creature, maybe a potential bad guy in the future. But now, like, that is probably somebody Fern knows. Like, Yeah, you it know? might be. So, I don't know. I, I don't really know I'm going with this, but i just very I, interested in this <sighs> mystery. I do feel like it's a little bit of like the flaws too strong a word, but it's a little bit of like the flaw of the critical role cast playing together. Cause everyone has kind of like this understood um, maybe expectation that full picture stories should be revealed in due time. And yet there's like these, name drops or mentions that I feel like in a normal setting, someone would be like, okay, well, so what's, so what's that? Okay. So what, what, how does that work? Mm -hmm. But the party sometimes kind of shirks away from that. Like, so she says, well, they're not on the court. It feels like that's the perfect time for someone to say, well, well, what's the court, yeah. you know? And I think sometimes they do lean into that, but I think other times, whether this happened at this moment or not, it does feel like people are like, okay, you know, let her, and it's and, and in some ways, I think it's a bit respectful and appreciative of just like letting someone roll out their story and the pacing they want to. Yeah. But you can also tell when this 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 isn't happening, where like it's not being drawn out, 
where FCG, like in episode two, just like dumped everything and people were like, okay, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, okay. that's that was a lot of info about FCG. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, naturally we still have a lot to determine about him, but um, that's my only, again, it's not even really a complaint. It's like, it's like, yeah, well, they're not on the corporate, the royalty. I'm just surprised that there's not more follow-up, I guess. Um, True. And it's fine, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I this is just pure speculation, but it might have even been that Dorian felt like he needed to drop it after that poor, terrible insight role, you know? Like sure. Maybe he was like, okay, well, I try again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, definitely that does happen at times in Critical Role where like somebody will drop like a huge like nugget or, you know, like like the Nightmare King recognizing her, right? That happened... Well, it feels like forever ago, but I guess it was only a couple a couple episodes ago. Um, but it wasn't until this episode that Orem finally asked her about it, you know, instead of like... And, and no one else asked. asked her. Yeah. And no one else asked her about it, right? It's so, kind of like when, in our home game where I was like, my character was like, my wife and daughter were murdered. And everyone was like, <laughs> oh. Hey, so anyway, yeah, it's like, it's like, there's almost like these little breadcrumbs that people could pull on or threads that people could pull on. Um, and again, it's not really a complaint. It's more of an observation and like a minor um, annoyance, I guess. Um, anyway, it's not even really worth talking about anymore, but yeah, I, I have no idea what's going on there with her character or the background. I think it is a really great point you make though, of that character from EXU who was sort of shrouded in mystery, maybe. And we said back in that EXU episode, like maybe this would be an, a, a primary antagonist in the next campaign in some way um, yeah. that, that guess now that, and we didn't know firm was going to be in the next campaign. Right. Um, it seems like that could actually be the case. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, also, I mean, in that moment in EXU, it felt very ominous, but the, with the context we have, and again, I don't know anything about the lore of the, the Sealy court, but if she referred to, Hey, we're not, we're royalty, but not on the court. The court then to me is like the royalty of, the Feywild. So right. would the matriarch of the court be an, an antagonistic figure? I mean, not that royalty mm -hmm. can't be evil, but you know, I don't know. I just, well, I mean, remember also me XU like this, this moment was, I don't want to say it was like future Fern. Oh, we'll yeah. just call it alternative Fern, you know, <laughs> dark Fern. What was happening there? Yeah, we don't know where it all happens, but um, without getting like super in the weeds in EXU where people maybe aren't going to go back and watch that anyway. Um, Fern, they had this, this crown of power that was, was seemed to be corrupting a corrupting force. And at one point in the story, they come across this portal where, um, and the crown sort of call it, it's kind of like the one ring uh, for Lord of the Rings is calling on each of them to put it on. And they come across this seemingly entryway to the Fae where, through this portal, she sees herself, Dark Fern, with the crown on. They fight, and as the portal's sort of shimmering and disappearing, is where it's mentioned, Abria, the, the dungeon master, mentions that this, this matriarch, this queen, whatever, um, is disappointed in Dark Fern's failure and in, in not recovering our fern. So that's what we're referencing. Um, and that's why it, I think you're right. It does seem ominous, but it could also be like, you know, in the, in the world of the multiverse, it could be another version uh, that is antagonistic, but maybe her the version she knows is trustworthy and 
you know, all good or yeah. something. But I mean, I guess we have no context whatsoever. So maybe they are just, maybe the yeah. court does suck and they're evil for all we know. <laughs> no. Well, we know, and we know Fern is, is uh, chaotic neutral in yeah. terms of her alignment. So, which I think, yeah, yes, maybe, like, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I think it's fair to, to say that even the courts could be the one and the same in that they are the ruling party. They're not explicitly evil, but they're also not like what you think of like the noble um, king or queen. They're no, they're no sovereign Uriel is what we're saying. Yeah, right. Which, yeah, actually, that's a good point because the Feywild is very chaotic. So it would make right. sense that their ruling class is the same way. Yeah. Um. All right. Just so, oh, go ahead. That's changing the subject. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I, I basically was too, but there's a couple other quick Fern moments I wanted to denote while we're sitting on here on the subject. Fern has the best like one-liners, I think. Uh, uh, Ashley and, and Talison are really great at this. Um, yeah. well, actually they all are, but anyway, the episode, the line that killed me was, I don't, I don't remember the exact context, but I think it was FCG, like figuring out his outfit and Fern's like, well, what about your face? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, <laughs> oh, but I don't have anything to dissect there. I just Which is a great, a great reference, not reference, but a great awesome moment there was they were talking about masks and, Sam Regal joked about going upstairs and returning with the shopkeeper's face. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, how does this work? <laughs> like, Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Yeah, in a very dark moment. <laughs> I actually, on so. Twitter, I, I saw somebody did art of that, and it was hilarious. Yeah, okay. Oh, go Yeah, the final thing I wanted to mention was just, I love this uh, steel war between Ashton and Fern, how they keep like trying yes. to, to nick items off of each other. Um, I'm excited to see how that evolves over the I like campaign. how, yeah, and I forgot to mention this in the Trove of Morrow when the, when the smoke fills the room and he tries to steal the like replica sword or whatever. And she's like, yeah, what yeah, are yeah. you doing? And he's like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Something so large that he would try to take off her. Yeah, so, it was a bold move. Yeah. Um, speaking of Sovereign Uriel, let's talk about the Briarwoods. Yeah. So... Imogen, you know, goes to the Starport Conservatory, reads about them. Did we know about their origins from Wildmount? Um, like from campaign one, did we know this? Right. Right. I think so. It wasn't like an okay. important thing that was ever like, yeah, okay. you know, but I think that was known information. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that was interesting to me, and we've talked about this in the legend of Vox Machina, maybe rather you mentioned it, that you know, these are being treated as, for lack of a better term, two separate universes, I guess, in the sense of yeah, like, like you have mm-hmm. you have the critical role lore and then you have the adapted to the show, its own lore. Yeah. Like two so canons. Yeah, right. So Matt mentions in um as she's going through reading about the Briarwoods that they had sort of taken over Whitestone and they ruled they ruled Whitestone for, I think he mentions five or six years. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting detail because in the show version, Percy escapes as a young boy and then returns as a seemingly much older person. Um, it's an important detail, I think, for two reasons. It seems like time has passed, much more time has passed. And also, a five year gap seems like um, when the Brywoods come to uh, Iman, it seems like this is a long ago thing that happened because uh, they're at their dinner table. They're like, you know, a lot of people don't know what happened with the Dorolos. You know, what actually happened was this. And so 
I just thought it was interesting, the time difference. It seems to be, you know, maybe like a 20-year gap um, in the second, in, in the TV show versus the five years that Matt dates in Camping 3. I do agree that it does seem slightly different, but I don't think it's it's quite 20 years in the show. Because uh, Percy, uh, not that you, not that this is the reason you think that, but his hair's not like white because he's old. It's because of like trauma. So Percy's only like 20-something. Oh, um, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just kind of assumed he was getting up there. No, no, yeah. Know, so strapping forty-year-old man. So <laughs> it does feel like a longer period than five years, but it really like he's, you know, he was. It, so in the nightmare sequence that we get in Legend of Vox Machina, he like he looks like nine or ten, basically, right? He's like with the brown yeah. hair, but then later in that sequence when he's escaping, so we don't know how long is between when the attack happens for when he's like making his escape, his hair is already completely white. And I think it's only been like a year or two, maybe max at that point. And so then it's probably been like another five to seven until that dinner and stuff. So, so he just embraced his Steve Martin, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> well, that's really Basically. good context too. Cause that actually solves some complaints I had also in the legend of Vox Machina with people recognizing him. And I was like, hasn't it been like forever? Like how do people oh, yeah, yeah. So, recognized? So I that makes like more sense. Yeah. It's probably been only like five to seven since yeah, he okay. escaped. Now I yeah, don't know how okay. long it was since they first attacked and he was held prisoner. Uh, that's the, that's the amount of time I'm murky on. Like could yeah, have been yeah. three months, could have been four years for all I know, you know? Yeah. Okay. No, um, that's good context. Okay. So anyway, that was just one detail, but uh, having not seen campaign one right. in that sort of her reading through things, was there anything that was interesting to you having um, seen the first season, first campaign, excuse me? Uh, no, there wasn't really any new information there. Um, yeah, okay. it's, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not like not saying anything to hide spoilers or anything. I'm just trying to think, but I, I don't think there is anything there. Yeah. It, um, it was interesting. The detail on, it's, it's seemingly impossible to separate a warlock from their patron uh, without losing their powers. We know that she's multi-classed sorcerer and warlock. Right. Um, Delilah seems to be pretty evil. So I, I'm curious how they're going to resolve that um, yeah. while her also, you know, keeping her, her, her powers. Right. So, I mean, it seems like she won't, like if she does sever this connection with Delilah, I think she's going to lose her warlock powers. Uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe like functionally, mechanically, Matt wouldn't like nerf Marisha in that way. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, sh- we don't we don't know enough about like what's happening here, like what Delilah wants. But she clearly wants something. Like she's right. trying to puppet Laudna for something. So clearly, like if Delilah has any say in it, she's not going to let Laudna sever the connection, right? So. That'll be interesting to see. And uh, this is actually a pretty good point to jump into the theory I wanted to talk about, which if if you've seen my Easter egg video, uh, I think it was episode five, then you, you've already seen this. But I, I noticed another detail that really like is making me want to go all the way with this theory, which uh, I was going to say spoilers for Vox Machina, but not really. Uh, but anyway, theory is that Laudna might be Vex's body double from the Sun Tree. And there's a few different like little Easter eggs that I think kind of point to this in uh, Vox Machina and in Campaign 3. Um, but she's the same age. Like the age checks out. The time frame of when she would have died checks out. 
and I don't think Marisha has said anything that would explicitly like, oh, this makes it so that's not possible. Like the window is still there. Um, but the the thing that I noticed is because I've I've been thinking about this theory, and so I was like, you know what? If I was Marisha, and I and this is what I was doing, I feel like I would maybe add some little like subtle clues to it in the art. So I went to look up Ladna's art, and I was like, maybe she's gonna have like a like a bruise or something on her neck from from being hung, uh, and that wasn't there. But what I did notice is that Ladna's a human. Vex's body double was a human, but Vex is a half elf. And in Laudna's art, she has like ear prosthetics that make her ears look half elven. No. So I'm just saying. Hang on. I'm just saying. Laudna critical role <laughs> character sheet. If I was if I was more impressive, I would be able to throw this up on the official podcast. art. Oh my gosh, dude, you're right. Yeah, she has like an earring uh, that almost looks like a elven tip on her ears. Whoa! So, I mean, I mean, I'm all, good, I'm all aboard this theory. I think it's exciting, and I think I I don't know. I just think it would be an awesome like connection to campaign one without really being like, you know, it's not like she's one of the yeah. campaign one characters' children or something, but it's still a really interesting way to tie back. So, in fact, all of her, all of the um, art renditions have that earring uh, ornament on the top of her ear, like mm -hmm. a, like an elf. Um, wow, that's a really great theory. So, I like it. I know some people have been giving me flack in the comments of those Easter egg videos, telling me I'm crazy. So, I just I'm waiting for my vindication. Here's what I'll say for you guys who um, maybe if you will feel like Will's being a little nuts. <laughs> There's been there's been a couple times that Will's given me his theory and I've been like, okay, man, you need to go outside. Go and then he's turned out to be right. So I'll just say, you know, don't count my man Will out. This 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 is I think we should ship this theory. I like this. And um, if it ends up being wrong, I never even believed it. Yeah. <laughs> One of you commenters said it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> We're right. gonna ban you from the channel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Speaking of shipping another theory, uh, once again, we have this. Storm, which I want to talk about the storm, mm. but Ladna, um, you know, sort of comforts Imogen. I don't want to say like we joked about this. We kind of just like threw it up in the air of like, hey, we've kind of always seen them as like sort of a sisterly relationship. Is there something more? Is it more intimate? Is it romantic? And there's even a moment where um, Imogen says, I'm, I'm so glad that I found you. And Imogen right. says, or Ladna says the same thing in return. And on while I was watching this, you know, the Twitch chat, I mean, it was like, ship it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I, I am again, I'm, I'm curious again, their relationship. Is it like sisters like formed through trauma and it's like a tight bond or is it romantic? Um, yeah, I'm just, I don't have really any, any thoughts beyond it other than just like, yeah, I'm really curious. Yeah, me too. Uh, like, if you made me pick right now, I'm still leaning towards just really like close friends, uh, that yeah, type of sure. relationship. But I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being a romantic type of thing. Right. Um, not that this, not that this means anything, but we do know that like Imogen had a crush on a boy when she was younger. So at the very least she would be bisexual, not just, right. you know, so, uh, I don't know. Like, again, I'm not going to be, Either way is cool with me, but if I'm I'm leaning towards they're more friends for now. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like more of a um, Zudana has one spare room. And so, because people had said, like, well, why are they sleeping in the same room? And it's like, right. well, it seems like kind of like I have a spare room you can use kind of thing. Um, but talking about the storm. Yeah. So she mentions that before Bertrand, she never saw anyone else in her dream. Yeah, that was really interesting. We, we know she's mentioned that she recognizes the voice as her mother and in the dream yeah. the voice is saying to run at least she thinks it's her mom but right. as we know she never knew her mom so she just for some reason right. thinks that's her mom i think in the bertrand dream she either made it to the house and was able to open the door but in this dream the door is locked and she has to run past the house just away mm. from the storm which i think is an interesting detail and she sees seemingly the loomis tw twins being engulfed by the storm First question, wh why do you think she is suddenly seeing dead people? I, I don't know. See, it's interesting to get the context that Bertrand was the first. See, before we knew that, I assumed this happened. Like, she always, like, saw people in the storm. And even that she knew that those people were probably dying. Because remember, back when this happened in episode three, you and I were speculating. Or I think it was you that had the great point of maybe it's like a... Like, if somebody dies near her, she can, like, yeah. sense it. And that's why she saw Bertrand, which makes sense to me but if this is the loomis twins that doesn't really check out because they've been yeah. dead you know and they died a long ways away too right you know several days travel away but i mean maybe it wasn't the loomis twins i mean that, that does kind of fit nicely for what we know but there's no re like it totally doesn't have to be them um that's true because matt isn't the she on her own inferred that and stated that right um so yeah, that is interesting detail. Um, the only details we got from Matt was two seemingly young, and you couldn't make out the faces, but you could see kind of the frame of them, two young people holding hands being engulfed by the storm. Yeah. So, Which, it, I mean, clearly the storm is a metaphor. It's probably more than this, but clearly that's a metaphor for death because we know Bertrand to have died and he went to the storm the same way. Well, I was going to ask you about this. If, if you thought the storm is a sort of macro metaphor. So it represents death. It represents like uh, maybe chaos or destruction or evil. Um, I was curious if, if you, if your interpretation was it just represents that theme. So as she encounters those things, she sees those characters sort of implanted in the dream or if, and we talked about this too with Bertrand, by the way, or if the storm represents a very specific evil force which would imply that, you know, imagine a boss at the top who orchestrated the deaths of the Loomis twins and also orchestrated Duggar who killed Bertrand. You know, if all those things are linked together, if the storm is a implication of a, or a foreshadow of an, a great evil character for something that is, you know, in a very Pepe Sylvia way is all connected. <laughs> What's your take on those two interpretations? I mean, I think it's both, honestly. Like, I think that it, there there is the nice metaphor of, like, Bertrand going into the storm and he's dead. And so the twins, even if it's not the twins. Uh, so I think that is true. But I also think that it's not just that. I think there is, like, this is a, a premonition of some sort, of something to come. Like, some real tangible thing that is be it a literal storm or not if that's just like the dream interpretation i do think okay. something is coming and i think it maybe i had this thought when i was watching the episode 
that maybe whatever this storm represents is tied to what is coming from EXU that we know of. Maybe this yeah. is the same thing. Yeah. We, and we talked about this in our last episode, episode 11 on tying this all together with, um, Rudis, Rudis, Rudis. Yeah. The moon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what's the other one called? Uh, Katha. Katha. So the two moons, you gave some great insight on how sort of the moons have been, um, sort of a constant theme in through all the campaigns. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode that towards the end of EXU, there is a um, sort of a sage who mentions that there's a dark omen from looking at the moon in terms of something, didn't say this overtly, but seemingly of like great evil that's coming. Right. Uh, so that's that's the context for our viewers right now. Um, and we, we both talked about, yeah, since the Loomis twins studied um, planetary bodies and that sort of thing, there's there's now an interesting further connection to those thoughts and theories, considering that now we've seen them in the dream right. with the storm, uh, the same storm that or the same type of storm that Imogen was reading about and that the Loomis twins ripped the pages out from. Right. So, yeah, I'm thinking just what is going on here for sure. <laughs> I know. And. I just had this thought. We know that the Loomis twins are into all of this, you know, into the cosmos or whatever. But I so maybe that's why they were looking into it. But I wonder if they maybe were having the dream as well, and maybe that's why they were doing the research. Wow, I really like that theory. Yeah, and maybe interesting. All right, I'm just going. I'm keeping going down this road, even though we have no basis for this. But if that was the case, maybe that's why they were killed. Because we're, we're told in, in the little research that we get that these people all have the dream all around the world, like at the same time, every, you know, 30 years or whatever it is because of, because of something. So maybe like whatever the storm is, whatever it represents, let's just call it evil for now. Maybe these people that have the dream are the ones that can stop it. So I know this is a lot of just maybes. But if that's the case, then maybe that's why someone out there is hunting these people. So, like, you know, the the people that have this dream could potentially stop what we're trying to do. So, like, let's kill yeah. them. So maybe that's why the Loomis twins died. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. This is all, all just came to me right now. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that could be happening story-wise in the near future, it feels like, with all these different threads. But especially Imogen's story, I think, is really intriguing. Um, Again, it's so interesting to think about like these kind of details give such a compliment to Matt and the world he's crafting. But at the same time, I just want to, I want to, I just want to binge on the story. I just want to get to the end of it. Yeah, Not so it'd be over, but just because I'm just, I just want to know like, okay, yeah. what does that mean? What does that lead to? Um, but I guess that's just the ride that we're on for the next couple of years. Yeah. And it's so. interesting that it connects to Orem too, slightly because the, yeah. the, his Keyleth was attacked. So, right. Just yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see where these kind of pieces fall eventually. Yeah. So maybe like for me at least, sort of the last big detail is the Chandra Quorum. The oh yeah, I wanted we know, to go over that a little bit. We know that um, it seems like there's a lot of people who are part of this, but like the elite people are these eight anonymous members. Mm -hmm. We know there's been comments made earlier. And we mentioned this in our last video about. Um, 
what's the name of oh the immortal syndicate is that right the immortal uh, syndicate the, Wait, that's from the Path ivory of the, the ivory syndicate <laughs> sorry Path of exile reference there the ivory syndicate <laughs> yeah, yeah. we know that they um someone has made the comment that maybe they are even in bed with the shandre quorum right and so, and then even Lord Estros has mentioned overtly that uh, they, these eight anonymous figures have sort of essentially crafted Dressars to serve their own best interests, right? right? And Armand Treshi, who we know is, seems to be the person hiring Ira, um, seems to be the patron who's mentioned, maybe on this group of eight. What's going on with the ring? First of all, I'm excited to see what the party, I mean, in typical CR fashion, I'm sure they're going to have this awesome plan. It's all going to go, you know, it's just, I'm just curious to see how they're going to pull this off. But what do you think is the significance of the ring, the thumb ring that he wears? Yeah, I was, I was wondering that like the significance of his or the one that they're trying to put on him. Both, both. Cause um, I'm curious. I'm curious. What's the deal with the ring? If that's some kind of like identifier, like everyone wears that and someone who's part of like the quorum, like why would he wear this? But more importantly, um, if it's just a piece of jewelry, what is Lord Estros hoping to do with this enchanted ring? Yeah, so I don't I don't know what the significance potentially is of uh of Treshi's like ring that he normally wears. Maybe it's just maybe that was just an easy thing to duplicate in order to you know, get this new ring on him. Um, but yeah, I don't think he explicitly says what enchantment has been placed on the ring, but my best guess would be like some sort of tracking device or some sort of like, yeah. uh, lets them spy on him, lets them hear him, lets them scry on him. Uh, just something to that effect that would give them access to information in some way. Um, yeah. but I'm interested to see if, if we, if we find out more about like what explicitly the ring does. Yeah. Does it feel like we've been talking about maybe we're heading to the end of Lord Esteros? Um, we've mentioned it several times about he's sort of like the the cheat code for the party of, you know, we have this, we have that, you need this, sure. Like we'll give yeah. you even when they were talking about like buying the outfits, they were like, maybe we can go back to Lord Esteros and just get a stipend. Um, so seemingly someone with endless resources, you and I have said maybe we're heading to a point where the party kind of gets normalized a bit, perhaps yeah. through the death of Lord Esteros. This is the first time he's stepping out in the public eye in a very high-profile way. Yeah. Um, since we've met him, I'd be curious if we're about to see his demise. I mean, absolutely. I, I think that's on the table because, again, like you said, he's 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 stepping out and being vulnerable for the for, for the first time, and we know how serious he takes his safety, his own house is trapped up like to an insane amount. Like when he took Dorian to go get, when Dorian wanted to go look through the, his clothes, uh, Estros was like, step exactly where I step. Cause like, that's how like many traps he's just laid around. So somebody that's like that worried about it must have some people that are trying to kill him. And what better time than his like first public appearance. So I'm not saying he's going to die, but I think like he could, like they're totally, could be an ambush at the ball that is like unrelated to yeah. the party that is focused on trying to get him. Well, and I'm wondering what's he hoping to accomplish also, because he clearly doesn't leave his house. I mean, why is he wanting to go himself? I wonder, I think, 
I think it's one because the party needs his legitimacy to to get in, like yeah, you know, because okay. you know they needed two groups. Um, but two, you know, he just mentions like he wants to take down the quorum, and this right. is where they could potentially fish out who are potential members. And just while we're here, I know this is something we've talked about a little bit. I want to give a quick breakdown of what we know about the quorum because Estrage kind of gave a quick rundown. So it's the eight allied anonymous leaders, um, you know, built of presumably Mahan houses and guilds throughout the wilds. Um, membership is decided and maintained by a vote of those people. So if anyone new gets in, they have to have like a majority of the current things so that's why you kind of have to like gain political power by finding out who these people are and you know either blackmailing them or giving them favors or something that's how you get in and any ousted members are sworn to secrecy under penalty of death so yeah. even once you're out like you still can't ever speak about it or they're gonna come get you um and then we are i, I spoke about this in the recap but there is a ninth public facing member who speaks for them which makes sense because i mean if they're an anonymous council how are they ever like doing anything so i'm glad we kind of got that detail that there is this ninth member that kind of serves that purpose um anyway so estros i think to circle back to your question here is doing this because that's their best chance at maybe finding out who some of these people are and using that political yeah. power to his advantage and a cool little note here when he's talking about this, he also talks about, I think, some of his potential allies and, like, also wanting to see this happen. And yeah. he mentions uh, Jaman Saord, which is is just cool to hear. Um, he mentions the Court of the Lambent Path, which I can't exactly remember what that is. And then the Stratus Throne, which I also <laughs> need. I should have refreshed on those, before we started those this Those two last ones are the ones who fought in the uh, Apex War okay. before stalemating. Okay. So it's interesting that he cited an ally at both of those, but maybe the war is, is clearly over now, so maybe everyone's chill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to touch on that political stuff because it's something we've been trying to parse out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot where we started here. <laughs> well, it seems like it's going to be a big episode on Thursday. Yeah, so. no, bro, I'm super excited. I think. Yeah. I think we'll definitely get some combat, be it either in an assassination attempt on Estros or just shit hitting the fan with trying to. Yeah you know get the ring but also just probably some really fun rp at the ball yeah well and maybe a group name too say again sorry maybe a group name oh yeah yeah i think i mean they're gonna have to get introduced there are two of them so maybe they'll like have two names to kind of mess with but yeah. i feel well, like I, yeah, I think they even joked like focus groups like yeah yeah, yeah. we could try them both see what sticks so <laughs> i feel like they've had plenty of time to be thinking about this like they we should be if not literally finding out next episode i think soon we'll have yeah. a group name hopefully yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. of pressure though i get it i get it yeah, yeah for sure for sure well you guys let us know in the comments what you thought about the episode and some of your favorite theories and thoughts and we'd love to respond to you and comment on there don't forget we're on twitter at the pixelus and uh will is there anything else you wanted to mention by the way before we wrap up um uh Again, if if you're free around 6 p.m. Thursday and you want to watch the the next drop of Legend of Vox Machina with us, uh, uh, there'll be a link or something below. So come join us. Other yeah, than yeah. that, I don't think so. Let's go to our thumbnail. Oh yeah. Um. Hmm. Seems like it should be related to the ball in some way. Yeah. Like a costume, but I don't have any costume props around. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, um. Hmm. 
I have no idea. I feel like we always have something ready. And this one, there's so many different things that happened. Um, yeah, we could just do like something unrelated to the episode. Yeah, just we could just do like a, a general surprise or just intrigue, I guess. You know? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's do it. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Yeah. We'll catch you later. Bye, y'all.